spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations these are my feasts this started us off um, with last week's sermon explaining to us that these are the biblical feasts of the Lord that he shows his ways his character and his plans through his feasts most importantly each one of these unveiled Jesus and God's plan Last week, he shared with us about the time in between, um, that is between the fulfilled feasts of the spring feast and then the ones that will be fulfilled as the fall feasts. And these spring feasts were fulfilled to the day, to the hour. And I believe that the same thing will happen with these fall feasts. Um, he fulfilled these at his first coming and as we await his return, his second coming. Prophetically, he also spoke about where we are um, and what does that look like in our own personal walks. So we have the prophetic fulfillment, we had the initial thing that was happening, and we know that there's a, a, a prophetic fulfillment in the time off, um, but what does that mean for our personal walk? Because we each have these things that we're, we should be walking through these feasts of the Lord with in our own Christian walk. Um, he was explaining to us that we are in the wait of the final fulfillment of the trumpets to be sounded. And in our personal walk, we can reflect and understand that trumpets are a call to repentance. They are sounded and um, they could be a warning. They can prepare us for battle. They can be called to assemble to worship or they can be called, uh, blown to announce a king coming. In God's appointed times, we should be taking an account of our walks, just like the people before the ark closed should be taking an account of their walks. There was an appointed time for that door of the ark to close. God knew when it was. The people didn't. He knew when that door was going to be closed. It was set from the foundations of the earth as an appointed time. And God's appointed times are set. They're, in, they're already going to happen, and we are just supposed to be able to walk in this life and, and be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying and be able to sense and discern the seasons that we're in and study his word and, and see these things. It will be at a moment that God knew with the ark. It was a moment that he knew he was going to close that door. So tonight at sundown marks Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It is the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. And after the trumpets were blown last week, there was a period of 10 days um, called the Days of Awe that had been spent praying and, and taking an account. In prayer, they come hoping that the good deeds of that year outweighed their bad things that they did and that they would be prescribed in the Book of Life. But it's a perpetual thing. Year after year, they come and do this. In ancient Israel, before the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., this marked the one day a year that the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, atoning for the sins of the, of the tabernacle itself and of the people. For those of us in Christ, though, we see it as the complete atonement for our sins. 
The prophetic picture was pointing to the Messiah who would one day shed his own blood to cleanse our sins, and he would rent that veil and making that access for us into the Holy of Holies, giving us uh, any time access to him. Not one day a year. In Leviticus 16, you can turn with me. I'm going to kind of skip around, um, or you can just listen. It's up to you. Um, starting in verse 16. So he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all of their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make the atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the, all, all the assembly of Israel. And it goes on, how he had to sprinkle, he had to wear special holy clothing. He had to um, go in and do all of these very detailed things. And he had to bring in um, a live goat, 21, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness." Um, then he has to go in and, and wash himself and uh, prepare an offering. And skip down to 30. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. This is how they were to be atoned year after year. And even now in Israel, that's what they're doing. They're, they're coming before the Lord and praying that their sins, I mean, that their good things were enough to, that they just outweighed because they don't, they don't have a sacrificial system anymore. They can't, the temple has been destroyed. They can't come and do these priestly things. So he had to wear holy garments, cleanse himself, cleanse the holy place, cleanse the altar, happening once a year to atone. Every year. And every year this would foreshadow the atonement we would receive from Jesus Christ. Not just a temporary covering, but a permanent one. But why would God do this? Maybe first we should ask, how does he do this? You see, God's holy. The songs that I, I prayed about for worship and picking out, I was just so moved. When we sing these songs, it becomes so easy for us to sing songs of his holiness and his goodness and his glory. But we, we really don't understand. We cannot fathom the holiness and, the, and God's glory. We get little moments of it when we enter into his presence. But that's, our minds cannot understand it. He is so holy. And there is no possible way that we can explain this with mere words. And to whatever degree that we've experienced his presence, that was just a, just a taste if God's holiness were to fill up this room right now, we would drop dead. We would all die. He is that holy. This is why he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by him. It was for Moses' protection. We have a true lack of understanding of his holiness, and so it's hard to wrap our minds around God's ways. We perceive and judge things standing from our earthly standpoint. 
And so maybe reading all these things of why in the world, why can't, can't he just forgive them? Can't he just like, say, I forgive you, and that's it? Why, why all this stuff? Why all the, the washings? I mean, it was a full, whole day of, of uh, I'm guessing, dread, even in the, the heart of the children of Israel. See, we judge from a human standpoint and not from God's. And we treat God so casually. So for us to approach him and come near to him, we have to do it in a manner that he has prescribed. In our Bible study, we've been talking about this, of, of seeing worship through the tabernacle and seeing, and you can look it up for yourself, start studying it out. When people approached the Holy Lord in an unprotected, unprescribed manner, they died. <laughs> I think that sometimes we can be too careless, too common, and too casual. And so these very detailed, elaborate instructions for the people of God to come near to the Lord were done because sin had to be dealt with. There was no other way. It had to be dealt with. We see this God making a way at the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. He had to, he, he covered them, um, he, he pursued them, and we see this again with the children of Israel. He made a way for them to be able to approach a holy God. Adam and Eve lost their fellowship that they had. The children of Israel wouldn't have the fellowship they would have. We would not have the fellowship that we have with the Lord if it were not for the, atoning, uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ's blood that he paid for us. So back to my first question of why. Why would God do this? And that is to have fellowship with us. He loves us all. He desires us. He desires that we know him. He pursued Adam and Eve. He pursued the children of Israel. And he pursues you. We know that he made a way for us to draw near to him. A holy God that by his very word created the heavens and the earth speaks to us and desires a personal relationship. The holy, blameless blood that was shed instead of ours once and for all to cleanse us. Not simply to cover us for another year so that we could come near. Not by our own righteousness, but because we accept Jesus, confess that he is God, and become saved. It's his blood that cleanses us. He atoned for us. We couldn't do it. He did for us what we cannot do. Jesus reconciled us back to the Father by his blood. That's what atonement is. Atonement makes us be at peace with God. I'm sure that you guys have seen it. I had never seen it before. I don't know how. My, I was talking to my dad, and he'd even seen it. The word atonement, the way it's spelled, if you break it up into its syllables, it says at one meant. So atonement, at one meant. It means you have peace with God. And you must have, be at peace with God to be able to have the peace of God. We can't have the peace of God. When we hear about these scriptures and these verses, um, you know, peace that surpasses all understanding and things like that, we proclaim these things. But if you are not at peace with God, you can't have that peace indwelling inside you. It's not going to happen. The veil was torn because the sacrifice was fully accepted by God. He opened it permanently, the access to the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God. If you have never truly understood this, and if you're not sure you are at peace with God, 
today can be your day of salvation, to settle this debt. Because before we come to Jesus Christ, we all have a debt. It doesn't matter if you sinned one time in your life. It's a debt you cannot pay because the penalty of it is death. If you have ultimate peace with God, if you've come to the Lord and you, and you know that you have been cleansed, that you accept that he, he, is, he is the atoning sacrifice for you, then my next question would be, do you have the peace of God? As Christians, we can be saved and yet decide to live a life that doesn't glorify God, that doesn't have fruitful relationship with God, we can't hear God, and we really can lack peace. We can be driven by emotions and doubt and fear and confusion. Do you have the peace of God? Being driven in these ways and not by the Spirit is not God's plan for us. Even as Christians, we can have unrelinquished areas of sin in our own life that rob us of the peace of God, that rob us of the righteousness, the right standing, and joy and fellowship. You see, because we have a legal walk and we have an experiential walk. What I mean by that is, legally you stand, if you, if you confessed those things and you believe that Jesus and he is your Lord, he's saved you, you legally have access to all of the promises of the Lord. But as you are, we're in this time of evaluation, we can evaluate our lives and say, do I have the promises of the Lord, though? Do I have the peace of God ruling and reigning in my life? I've seen it. I've been a Christian my whole life, and so I've been able to see that there are Christians that can read the word, and it means nothing to them. They can sit in a worship where the heavens are opened up to them, and it's a moment in time where we are, it's a, it's a mystery, but the heavens are opened up to us. Angels are singing with us. We are all glorifying God together, and people can be in that and not have a clue, not sense it, not understand it, nothing. They're not walking, that's not an experiential walk. There are people that are being able to sense that and be able to, to praise the Lord and to be able to, to understand those things, to have the, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that whenever their world is rocked, yeah, they might have the emotions, they're going to have the sadness, they're going to have the grief, they're going to have all the things, but they are steady. They don't fall off the deep end. Maybe it's because the flesh has to die. All of our flesh has to die. That's what the, the holiness of the Lord requires. And God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. People can show up to church week after week after week, never change and never grow. So are they at peace with God? Are they at one with him? You see, we read what the natural process was, what was required, the requirement. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So he was atoning for the, the people of Israel, the children of Israel. They did it in a prescribed manner. 
he atoned for them year after year after year. Fast forward to the, as we've already discussed, the future fulfillment of that in Hebrews. Starting with 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, meaning he didn't, he didn't walk into the, the tabernacle in the wilderness made with hands. He walked into the heavens. He walked into that holy of holies in the heavens. He became the high priest. He was the high priest that walked in there and put his blood upon the altar for us. That was the, the fulfillment of that. And yet there's still a future fulfillment. Some people, theologians, can argue, is that the day of judgment? Some people wonder if it's the, the a rapture. But let's just read what it says here. It says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He stood in our place. Not that he should himself um, Often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did that. Now, here's the future. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those eagerly waiting for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. And that word salvation in that, um, I was looking it up. Because I was like, well, you already came once, you know, for salvation. So I don't, how, what does that mean? And um, the, ver- the phrasing there could mean of safety, of health and sa- of safety, like a, like a deliverance. So if we read it with that, we can see th- um, that could be a fulfillment of that, that future part. that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So you're going to be a slave one way or the other. Are you a slave to sin? Are you a slave to righteousness? I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. So what do you get for your trade? Jesus covers you, and then you become his. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. They don't belong to us anymore. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to him, and it should also belong to his church. And I think that that's a a hard concept sometimes because we we live in such a society that is so inward-thinking that we think about just ourselves, our goals, our uh, things that we want to accomplish, things we want to buy in this life, the vacations that we want to take, you know, whatever it may be. None of those things are wrong. But we belong to the Lord, and we belong to each other. The apostles taught, people received, and the spirit transformed. 
I've heard wonderful teachings on having something legally and having something experientially. Those who confess Jesus as Lord, believing in him, his work at the cross, his death, and his resurrection, have a legal standing before the Lord. They no more belong to the devil, and they inherit that eternal life. There are promises in the Lord that are ours legally, but we have to take hold of them experientially by obedience. Legally, meaning of relating to or concerned with the law. Experientially, meaning relating to or derived from your experience. You have to walk it out. So in short, walking experientially is to walk in the promises of God, to experience those promises. Our legal standing will never be taken from us. There, there was a legal agreement made between you and God because of a mediator. Jesus' blood signed our covenant. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is our legal position. However, it is possible to never take hold of the promises of God because of the way that we walk. There's nothing you can do to earn the salvation, but now there's a journey for us as Christians. Attaining a life that the Bible speaks of is something that has to be walked out. Where is our experiential position in the Lord? How do these things echo in eternity? We must know and understand that we live in a spiritual world with a very real and spiritual enemy. Satan hates us. He knows he can't have our salvation. But what he then goes after is your inheritance of the promises, both in this life and in eternity. If he can trap you, paralyze you, blind you with anger, bitterness, lust, jealousy, pride, addictions, self-centeredness, then he knows he, you will not live a fruitful life in the Lord while on this earth. You'll have a minimal impact on the kingdom, and he knows that when you come before the judgment seat of Christ, not the white throne, but when we are rewarded according to our works while on this earth, earth that we will fall short of what we could have had. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Matthew 16.27 says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Practicing sin is very different than sinning. As we walk in the Lord, we will sin. We will lose our tempers. We're going to have bad thoughts. We can be jealous, manipulate others, victimize others, struggle with hidden or secret sin. But if our response when we do this sin is to acknowledge that it is sin and ask the Lord for forgiveness and help us to change our choices, even if we slip several times, God sees the hearts and our attitudes, and he works within that, disciplining us and refining us. We're going to have areas of sin, but that is how we overcome, experientially. Even Jesus said that he learned obedience by suffering. Jesus. It's so clear to understand the natural effect of practicing something. You eat right, you exercise, you study a sport or a hobby, and we all know the saying, practice makes perfect. So let's apply that to sin. Practicing sin, practicing something means you aim to get better at it. The practicing of sin could be the honing in of skills like cutting people with your tongue, manipulating others to get your way, lying, cheating, boasting, even fear by not taking thoughts captive and making them subject to Christ. But it's never dealing with the sin. Instead, it's making it get stronger by practicing it and making excuses for it, blaming others for it. Whatever the tactic is, it's never dealt with head on. Just as a muscle gets bigger and stronger, so will what you practice. 
If you practice righteousness, you will overcome. If you practice sin, it will overtake you and imbalance your life and will find yourself not living the victorious life of the promises of God that we read in the scriptures, but instead a life of frustration, failure, broken relationships, and repeating cycles. As God continues to illuminate those areas and put his finger on something, what do we do with it? We can see our own cycles by the same problem, but with new people or new circumstances. Do we cry and complain to God of how hard it is, how he doesn't understand? We try to maybe bargain with him. If he would give us so-and-so, then we would do such and such. Or do we yield even when it's hurt? It's difficult or we can't understand. Do we still obey? That's overcoming. The rewards are not just for this lifetime. They echo in eternity. We as Christians are an example whether we want to be or not. We are examples of who God is. We are his lights for others. We are to point to him. Today, if you would get before the Lord in a time of silence, would you examine your own hearts and allow God to speak to you? To glorify God means to correctly represent him to the world. We're going to all continue to sin and fall, but to humble ourselves and confess our sins and allow change in our hearts, we will glorify God. It's a continuing journey. Just because we said, yes, I believe who you are, doesn't stop right there. That's just the very, very beginning of it. Are you walking forward? Are you standing in opposition to God, refusing to yield your life? Does your life belong to you, or does it belong to the Lord? Simply stating the promises of God will not produce the fruit, but walking in obedience. Our legal stance is not going to change. Praise God. We are saved. We've been atoned for. There's nothing going to change that, I believe. But I want a, an experienced life with the Lord. I want to experience the Holy of Holies. I want to experience the peace of God when something tragic happens in our lives. I want to see the miracles of God and be able to have faith that moves mountains. Those are the experiences that are, are told that we could have. So let's just pray. Father, we need you. We thank you for the work that you have already done at the cross so that we can walk in the, your promises. Help us today, Lord, to be broken before you. If there is any area of our lives where we are practicing sin, please reveal it to us. Lord, we desire to correctly represent you to this world and to others in the body of Christ, to our families, to our children, to our spouses, Lord. Give us an understanding of overcoming and the promises that we can have in this life and in eternity, Lord. I thank you for your atonement, making a way for us to be at peace with you, Lord. We look for your appearing. Work this into our individual walks as we also wait for the final fulfillment of these feasts. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. This meal. <laughs>